I'm delighted to be speaking with Adeola, who is an email marketing expert, my go-to source for all things email marketing. Uh, so welcome, firstly, and you. could you give us a quick intro to who you are? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Cole. So as he said, my name is Adiola, Adiola Sol, and I'm a CRM consultant, but I'm also a webinar and a conference host. I work with multiple agencies, so I'm not loyal, but I do that so that I can gain as much insight as possible so that I'm able to help and share that information out to not only my followers, but to all of my different clients and to new and budding marketeers as well. So I have very much have a hybrid role, which I enjoy. I work predominantly with tech agencies, but most of the clients that we do work with are essentially retailers, um, more B2B, um, B2B as well as B2C. So yeah, I do many things, but I'm really happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Excellent. What I was hoping we could do today is to take us through a winning welcome email sequence. Okay. So we all know that email marketing is essential, but I think there's a bit of uncertainty around exactly what we should be setting up for our organizations when somebody does subscribe to hear from our business. So does that sound good for you today? Yes, sounds great. And I love talking about welcome email, so let's get into it. Okay. So... Let's take it from the stage that we have received somebody's email address through one of our sign-up forms. We're not going to go into that side of it, but that would be where you have a lead magnet and you're using some sort of incentive to attract the email in the first place. Yes. So after that point, we've, we've captured the email. What do you think is like the first step that we would take if we're planning out our email sequence strategy? Really, really good question. And for me, the first thing is to define the objective of your welcome email. So I think what I've noticed is most brands, retailers, companies, whatever we want to call them, more or less just front load the email with a hi and an offer, but without really understanding what they want their email to do. Do you want your email to be an education piece? Do you want your email to be a conversion piece? Is your email simply a handshake? There are so many different things in which the email or the welcome email can do, but you first have to decide what that objective is. And once you've done that, then you're able to start tailoring the content geared towards your actual objective. So I think that's the very first thing that you should do. So you've got the email address, fantastic. But what is the step that you want that, that person or that contact to do? If it's just to greet them and say hello, then great. But let, let's face it, really and truly, your welcome email is almost your first purchase campaign. So we really want to make it work hard. That would be my objective, to make it work hard. So what is like the first impression that we're looking to create? So essentially, what you want to do is ensure that your welcome email sets the tone. As I said before, it's your handshake. So it's the first greeting, it's welcoming. That's the whole name in the title is to welcome. So you're greeting your subscribers, but you're setting the tone, you're managing their expectations within that campaign as well. So you're telling them who you are, what you stand for, and how often you're probably going to be communicating with them. So those are the first things that need to be ironed out. But then you then want to start thinking about what else do you want your subscribers to do? Do you want them to check out some more content on your website? Or do you want them to go ahead and purchase? Those are the things that you need to start thinking about to ensure that that campaign is working as hard as it can. And also, you want to impart some form of personalization. So 
if you're capturing their email address as well as their name, use it. I've seen loads of forms where you're taking the name, you're taking so many, lots of lovely nuggets of information, but then it's omitted from the entire campaign. So it's almost like, why did you ask for it in the first place if you're not going to use it? And what we know is that personalized emails have a 14% higher open rate than standard emails. So it's worth utilizing that information if you're capturing it already. Amazing. So would you have the name in the, obviously at the top of the email, it can be like, hi, their name. Would you put it in the subject line or at the end? How, how much personalization would you put in that first email? Okay. So firstly, don't overkill. Like we don't need to have our names plastered all over the place. I think in the, in the subject line is fine, but this is the beauty of email marketing. This is where you can test things. So you can test it in the subject line, but you can also test using it in the body copy. I, I typically see a lot of retailers, especially introducing my, like introducing or calling me out in the subject line and then following up at the end of the body copy, almost in a sentence question phrase. So what did you think about that, Adiola? And then there's a CTA to check out something else, right? So you can play around with the placement of personalized, you know, elements, but don't overdo it because at the same time, even though I say use first party data or zero party data, I should really say, people are becoming a lot more aware of the use of their data and the use of their information. So if you're going to call out my name in a personalized way, then try and ensure that that email is designed and customized to me. Otherwise, I become desensitized to it. And what is zero party data? Okay. Good question. Zero party data is essentially the data that we give willingly. So it's the detail, the, the information that you capture on a form is data that you own. So that's zero party data. Then first party data, which is the next step, is the data that you collect from their behavior. So things that they're doing on your website, what have they clicked on, where are they browsing, but also what are they clicking on in your emails. That also allows you to build a profile on your customers using that secondary information. So zero party data is the information that I give you immediately. So my name, my date of birth, my country, telephone number, email address, that's all zero party data that you capture on the form. First party data is then the behavioral stuff on top of that. Perfect. So we're using zero party data. What's mm -hmm. the next step? What most really successful retailers do is they have a series. So don't just sit on one welcome email. Because let's be honest, when you're meeting your friends and you're telling them a really juicy story, you can't tell the story with just, with just one snippet, one within one minute, right? You need at least a good 10 to 15 minutes to tell a really good story. So it's the same with an email. You cannot tell your brand story in just one email. You need a few. So I would say at least two to three emails should sit within your welcome series and each one can have its own purpose. So the first one is the handshake, the hi, hello, this is what we're about. Either we're a B Corp, we're sustainable, we give to charities, whatever you want them to know, you could put that in there. Then the second email could be about more about how you can leverage their experience with your website. So what services do you provide? How can they shop with you? You might want to overlay some of your, you know, unique selling points with delivery aspects or whether you're, a, you know, within the education sphere, you might have, you know, free learning courses, 
whatever that is, but you want that email to then tell a little bit more about how they can engage and interact with you. Then the third email can be very casual, can point them to your social elements, you know, to find you in different places. It could be so much more relaxed. You might want to pull in some user-generated content in there. So you're giving them a really nice snippet and you're telling a beautiful story over a sequence of emails rather than cramming it all into one because the story becomes convoluted and it's very hard to position yourself and, and get the desired action that you want them to take. So breathe, let the sequence breathe. Presumably we send the welcome email straight away as soon as they subscribe. How long should we wait before we send that next email and then the, the final email of that sequence, perhaps if it's three emails. So ideally, ideally, your sequence should be done within a week. Do not stretch it out any longer because we have to also bear in mind, you've got other campaigns that are probably going out in between that. You don't want your BAU campaigns to also muddy the water with your welcome email. If you do have the capabilities within your email system, you can actually pause all of your other emails and let them go through the welcome journey first so they're isolated from everything and they get to go down this really nice bespoke story that you're telling them but i would say have your sequences done within the week and usually 24 to 48 hours apart so your first initial email is straight away if it's possible straight away 24 hours later send the next one and ideally 24 hours after that send the final one so Within the week, it's done. Brilliant. And which tools do you recommend? You mentioned email service providers. Where can we set up what you just described? Well, there's loads. There's loads. There's loads. I would say it depends on your budget. This is the thing. So if you're new to emails and let's say you don't really have a really big budget, I would say MailChimp is a really good place to start. And it allows you to do that. So you can customize your segments and you can customize what your subscribers receive. If you have a bit more budget to, to spare, I would say actually Clavio is really good. Um, it's a really easy to use software. There's loads of brands that are now adopting Clavio and it allows you to have that essentially that traffic light system. So they will be excluded from everything else whilst they're going through the welcome journey. And then if you've got a bit more cash to spend and you want to do a whole omni-channel experience for your subscribers, I would say Braze. It's a new player in the market. Well, would I say new? It's been around for some time, but it's very much the Gen Z of email service providers. So it's, um, you know, it's got a lot of features. It really understands marketers. It understands their needs. It also plugs in really well with your app as well. So you can tell the story through email, but you can also tell the story in your apps too. And again, kind of have that traffic light system where you're excluding subscribers from everything else. You're ring fencing them. So those would be my three if you're looking to get a new email service provider. Perfect. And Klaviyo, is Klaviyo just for e-commerce, just for selling physical goods? Or can other industries use Klaviyo yeah. as well? No, yeah, B2B brands, you'll find a lot of people that don't necessarily have a e-commerce website, so they're not selling a direct product in that sense, will use Clavio. So it's not just for retailers, it is essentially for everyone. But if you are a B2B and you want something that's very much, you know, that they get you, they know your business and they know what you need, I would say HubSpot. HubSpot is really good for 
for lead generation and, you know, targeting your leads and taking them through certain journeys, whether they're cold leads, warm leads. HubSpot is fantastic for B2B companies. And what would you say is the thing that brands most often get wrong if they're just starting out with their email? Any classic pitfalls that you see people falling into? Yeah, I using a whole image as your email itself. That is a massive no-no. Please do not do that. Your email should essentially follow the 60-40 rule. So we want 60% text versus 40% images. That's the rule. If you have a 100% image, what you're going to do is potentially trigger off some spam traps because lazy people use an image and that's what these spam traps are looking for. So if you're only ever using full images to design and tell your story within your welcome email, you could potentially start harming your deliverability. And that, when I say deliverability, it's very different to delivered. When you're looking at your reports in your, you know, your reporting dashboard, you usually see that metric that says delivered and it usually says 99.9%. Now that metric essentially means they've delivered, they've sent almost 100% of your email. So out of your total subscribers, they've sent almost 100% of them out. A few would have bounced. Deliverability, is, on the other hand, is of those that were sent, how many actually landed in the inbox and how many landed in spam? Now, if you start sending emails that are predominantly just image-based, you're going to find that your deliverability in terms of inbox placement will be really low. And your spam rate in terms of those that land in the spam folder will be really high. So when you're looking at your deliverability report, what you want to have is an inbox rate of around 95% or more. If your inbox placement rate is less than 95%, let's say if it's in the 80s or 70s, there's cause for concern. If it's even under 50%, then we have a really big problem. So make sure you're keeping an eye on your deliverability, not just your delivered. And please follow the 60-40 rule. What about video as well? Video is great. Video is great. But what do I want to say? I just use it sparingly and wisely because one, it's heavy. So we want to make sure that our emails weigh no more than 102 kilobytes. And Images, videos, and GIFs do take up quite a lot of space in terms of the weight of your email. So it's good to use, but use it sparingly. Some people put a still, so like a screen grab of your actual video with a play button. So it gives the illusion that it's a video and that also re requires less weight. But if you are going to have video playing, there's some great softwares out there. So there's one called, I think, Video Player or InPlayer. And there's another one called iMail. Now, iMail is a really cool technology. It's black owned, actually. And the CEO used to work for NASA, which is like pretty awesome. And now she's this award winning tech, you know, tech mogul. But what, what she has clients that are Porsche, you know, Harrods have used her, Stella McCartney, Disney. American Airlines, like some awesome brands have used the tech and essentially it plays this really beautiful kind of brand-led video within your email. So it does all the storytelling for you. And apparently the conversions from using this type, type of technology is through the roof. So 
those are a few things that you can look out for, but use it sparingly and make sure that the weight isn't too big. When it comes to deliverability, because that is a <laughs> key part of email marketing, our battle is email marketers versus the spam filters. Um, yes. Why is it an issue? They've given us their email address. Why is deliverability such a big consideration when it comes to email marketing? Yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's one thing to be given the email address, but it's another to respect it. And this is what the mail service providers, so your Gmails, your Outlook, your Yahoo's, your Apple Mail. As much as we've given you permission to talk to us, you have to respect the way in which you talk to us. And that's why deliverability is such a big thing, because what these mail service providers essentially want you to do is to have one good list hygiene, to listen to your, your subscribers and to act within best practices. And if they find or feel as though you're not doing those things, then they start to automatically filter your emails and put you in the spam folder. So a good example would be in terms of listening to your subscriber base. What you need to be doing is sending to those who engage with your emails. Now you can define what engagement is to you and how that is relevant to your business, but you want someone who either frequently opens or clicks within a certain period of time. If these mail service providers see you messaging people that are not engaging, are not you know clicking on your content or opening your emails, what they're going to assume is that you haven't collected this email address in the most compliant way, because if you had, they would be engaging with you, right? So what you want to do, and that's where list hygiene comes into play, it's omitting people from those campaigns where they're not actually engaging so that Gmail can say, all right, they're sending their emails and people are opening, so they must be good senders. We're going to let these emails through. And everyone else who's not engaging with your content, you'll only message them every now and then. Maybe if you've got a really big promotion or a new product launch, anything that's worth telling to everybody, you can include them. But everyone else, keep the list nice and tidy. Otherwise, what you're going to see is your emails land in spam. You'll see your engagements drop, but you'll also see your revenue drop over time. Because if people are not seeing your emails, it means that they're not able to click through and buy. So there is a direct correlation between deliverability and also revenue generated from your emails. And I know for some people, they're thinking, bloody heck, that means I'm only going to be messaging like 30% of the entire database. My company wants us to email everybody. But I guarantee you, if you take a look at your data, what you'll find is, let's say if you're sending to 80,000 people anyway, what you're going to find is probably 25,000 of those or 30,000 of those are the ones that are constantly engaging. The rest are more or less dormant. So you might as well just cut them out and focus on those key active people anyway, because never will you ever find 100% of your base interacting with your campaigns. So that's what you take to the people up above. You know, if they're saying, no, we don't want you to segment, show them the data. The data is going to prove that there's only a finite majority of your actual subscribers who interact with you on a regular basis. So you might as well start customizing the content for those who actually want to receive and open your emails. And then what you can do with the rest, I wouldn't necessarily say just bin them and only talk to them on their as-to-need basis. I know I'm contradicting myself, but you could create a strategy where you have 
let's say a monthly campaign that you send to them. It could be very specific or bespoke content, something that you feel like this should get them interested. This should whet their appetite. So you can test that with them. And incrementally, month by month, you'll start to see that people from that group will start to engage. And then they'll be moved over into the active pot. So you're working on bringing people over from this disengaged section over here to your engaged section over there. Does that make sense? It does. Talk just more about data. What are the key metrics when it comes to email marketing that we should be keeping an eye on, on, let's say, a weekly basis? Okay. You'll see a lot of um, thought leaders and marketeers now will say that open is a redundant metric. And to some extent, it is because of MPP, so mail protection privacy or mail privacy protection, whichever way that goes. So, <laughs> so Apple introduced, for those that don't know, Apple introduced MPP. Um, it's essentially a way to protect users' privacy so that we, the marketeers, cannot track whether or not you open your emails or not. And that's usually the key identifier that we use to see whether or not our campaigns are successful. But because Apple have decided to remove that tracking pixel, or they've more or less blocked it, we now can't get an accurate read as to whether or not someone has opened our emails. So that's why I would say that looking at opens isn't necessarily the best metric to focus on. It never really has been, but even more so now, it's probably not a great one to look at to determine whether or not something has been successful. What we want to look at now is metrics that are a lot more closer to your actual objective. So metrics that are further along the customer funnel or the metrics funnel. So we're looking at clicks, your click to open rate. If you're an e-commerce brand, we're also looking at your conversion, but your AOV as well. So your average order value. So there could be particular campaigns that have a higher average order value than others. And looking at that number will help you understand what your customers really love and what they're really enjoying and where they end up buying multiple products. So having an eye on that is a really good indicator. But also one that people don't necessarily look at, but they should, is revenue per email. So emails are very cheap, cheap-ish channel to run. So you acquire all of this amazing data, which is the email address. You own that technically. And you can email these people as many times as you like. But each email actually, each email address is worth a value to your business. So the average email revenue per email, let's say is around, for some companies, it could be £1.50. For others, it can be £3. For some, it's 79 pence. But you want to keep an eye on that number. As the revenue per email increases, it means that you have a very rich and lucrative database. If your revenue per email starts to drop, then you start to see those indicators and you're able to start tailoring and customizing some of the content, removing certain people, breaking up and creating different segments to ensure that you're able to increase that revenue per email. So those are the, it, those metrics that I would look at, you know, from a day-to-day -day general base. Oh, and my very favorite is list growth because you cannot grow your business on the same static list. Your list, so your subscriber list, has to grow in line with your business. So if you want to see 20% growth in your revenue or in your business by the end of the year, best believe you have to grow your email list in order to hit that growth target. So keeping an eye on the monthly email list growth is another metric that you should all pay attention to. Talk a lot, Sorry. No. <laughs> 
That's what, that's what we're here for. We're here to hear you break down email marketing for us and you're doing a great job. Last question, like what are the key trends in the email marketing industry that you're keeping an eye on right now? One big one is AI. And I wouldn't necessarily say I'm keeping an eye on it, but there is so much chatter about chat GPT. It's a trend for now, but funny enough, even though there's so much buzz around chat, chat GPT at the moment, I think we must also remember that as marketeers, we've been using AI technology for a very long time. We've been using it in predictive segmentation. We use it with product recommendations. We use it in send time optimization. We use it in so many different ways and it all utilizes that same similar technology in terms of AI. So it's not necessarily think anything new. Don't feel like you need to jump on the bandwagon just because everyone's talking about it at the moment, because chances are you've used it in one way, shape or form in your marketing strategy. I think there's a brand Volvo Cars. So I was at a conference earlier on this year and they use this guy. Oh, they, what's his name? We'll call him Timmy, but hopefully I can find his real name. So it's an AI and they use him. Is it Wilbert? Anyway, they use him to create their subject line and the content of their emails. He's now become a valuable member of their team. So when the content marketers just don't have time to write an, a sexy email for them, they'll go to Wilbert and Wilbert will create bespoke content for them. So for them, that's like a really great resource, but you still have to more or less add the human eye to it because Wilbert, I will find his real name, but Wilbert will give you content that is very in line with your brand, but he's also learning. So as you tweak his output, as you tell him where he's gone wrong and what he's done right, he will evolve his thinking. He will evolve his learning until he gets to a stage where he's writing in your brand tone of voice. So that's one piece of AI. That's one piece of tech that I will say, you know, it's worth, worth using. Perfect. And then my final question that I will let you go is, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you wish I did because you think it'd be helpful for, for the people to know? There is a Slack channel called Email Geeks. So if you go into, if you join that channel, hashtag Email Geeks, you usually can ask a lot of questions in there and there will be a geek who will help you troubleshoot your issue. And I think that's a really lovely resource. And if you are a lady um, or identify as a lady, uh, there's a Facebook group called Women of Email. And it's a place where women marketers can go and share either their wins or some of their woes. And there'll be other women. Amazing. Thank you so much for the tips, the tools, and all the explanations that you've, that you've given us today. That's I think that's... This is kind of the base baseline knowledge that everybody should have when it comes to email marketing and you've perfectly broken it down for us. So thank oh, you very awesome. much again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.